Well, last week we wrapped up our series through the book of Ephesians, and so as I now pray and seek where God would ultimately have us go next, I had felt over the last couple of months that we really need a time where we just allow the Lord to encourage us as we go through the difficulties that we are currently going through. And so for the next couple of weeks, maybe three, I'd like to talk to you about trials. And the series will be called Enduring Trials. Now, you may wonder how this can be encouraging at first, but let us understand that whenever we experience here on this earth as an individual has purpose to it. So I'd like to begin our series by beginning in the book of James. If you turn to James chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 2 and read to verse 8, and we'll look at these verses together as we begin this series together. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. James writes, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is, double, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Father, I just believe, Lord, as we go through the current climate in which we are, there's a lot of tension, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, fear, and worry. We are being faced with challenges that we, frankly, never anticipated being faced with. So, Lord, we lean into you, and we ask that during these next few weeks that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, and show us and encourage us in this time that you are still always in control of all things. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would bless its teaching today. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. God tells us to expect trials. Great quote to start out with. It is not if you will fall into various trials, but when you will fall into various trials. That's important to know. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. From the very beginning, Jesus showed us and demonstrated us, demonstrated to us through his life, but also warned us in advance, as he said in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world." The early disciples knew that their participation and placement within the kingdom of God was going to solicit tribulation. 
in Acts 14.22. Notice, as strengthening the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. It's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when we experience trials as individuals. As James writes to the new Christians who were previously Jewish, you know that after 70 AD, Rome scattered the Jewish people throughout all of the known Gentile world. James was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and he wrote to these people scattered abroad because as the Jewish people went in amongst the Gentiles as new Christians, they found it very difficult to engage and to be part of the societies and cultures in which they found themselves. Many of those cultures were, you know, um, they believed in a uh, polarity of gods. And here comes the Jewish people who are monotheistic and believed in the one true God. And this from the very beginning caused tensions among the people. James writes this letter, and James is a fascinating book. I would encourage you to read the entirety of it. You can do it now, we'll wait. No. It has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament, partially because of the manner in which it is uh, constructed. Many feel that when they read through the book of James, it's fragmented. It doesn't seem like one thought perfectly segues and fits with the thought previously. It's probably because James wrote this in pieces and in parts. As certain things came across his mind, as the Holy Spirit led him to write as he did, to encourage those who were struggling through trials. So to begin his letter... He says, my brethren, he's writing to you and I, fellow Christians. And he says to them, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I don't know about you, but that's often not the first reaction I have. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What is a trial? Well, the answer might actually surprise you. The word in Greek actually means an examination. It is a circumstance that we are experiencing and going through that is truly being used as an examination of us. Examining what exactly? What is it looking for? And why can we consider it a joyful experience? The word means to try to learn the nature or character of someone or something by submitting such to thorough and extensive testing. To test or to examine, to put the test to, and so forth. That's what it means when we go through various trials. It's an examination. The question is, what is it looking for and who is it revealing it to? As we go through trials, God often uses trials not to inform Himself, because He obviously knows us from the inside out. He knows everything about us. There's nothing we're going to do to surprise God. Growing up, my dad often used to 
uh, prematurely say, I don't think there's anything more you can do that's going to surprise me. And I'd always come up with something new. Not in a good way. But to God, we are never going to surprise Him. He knows our heart. He knows what we think. He has every hair on our head numbered. Some of us, He's subtracting quickly. He has every tear that we've ever cried in a bottle. He knows us intimately and personally. So the examination is not for His sake. It is for ours. It's to allow us to know where we truly are with Him in this process, this lifelong process called sanctification. God taking us out of the world and conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And He does so often by using the scalpel of trials to do so. Because not only is a trial an examination, but it also produces something within us, which we'll see in just a moment. But as you know, when I talk about trials, I'm often talking about grave difficulties that we experience in our life. I have never had anyone come to the church saying, you know, Pastor, um, I went through a very difficult trial this week. Oh, what happened? He goes, I won a million dollars. That's a trial? Give me those trials every single day. No, often, of course, we are speaking of very difficult circumstances. Even though I believe I can make a biblical theological case that the prosperity of a million dollars may be even more tempting than the suffering of the individual. But how is it possible that we can count it all joy? The word count there is a word that is used by Paul also in the New Testament, specifically in Ephesians chapter 3. It's to take an evaluation of. For example, when Paul uses it, he uses it in Philippians 3.8 when he says, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have noticed suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So number one, when we experience a trial, and it's not if, but when we experience a trial, we can immediately count that trial and place it in the category of a positive experience, even though it would appear to be a negative experience. And because we're going to discover that it is a positive experience in our spiritual life, we can be joyful through it. Make sense? That's what James is trying to get to. That we can be joyful, we can count this experience as a positive. And though I'm not minimizing the suffering of the possible trial, I'm not minimizing the pain of the specific trial that you may be experiencing, What I am saying is that at the root, we can be joyful knowing that there's purpose to it. It isn't just simply randomly applied. As we will see next week, when Peter writes on the the aspect of trials, he says, when we go through trials as need be. That's interesting. We'll look at that more in detail next week. As need be. There's a purpose to them. And notice he makes it abundantly clear that after asking them to count it as joy, he then clearly tells them when you fall, meaning it's going to happen. 
And in the Greek, it comes across even a little clearer than it does in the English, English, meaning that you're going to experience them often at unexpected times. Have you ever had something like that happen in your life? You're just going through life. Things are going good. You're just happening, you know. You're, as my daughter would put it, you're vibing through life. And then, bam! It just hits you. I often think of my wife when she was driving out in this area one time. As she was driving down a road, looking at the... She was driving, I believe, along the river. She can correct me if I'm wrong. After service, of course. No. Uh, and as she was driving, she saw a, a, some geese coming across the road. And sure enough, one of them, as she's driving, oh, what a pretty river. Bam! The goose flies right into the side of her car. It was a kamikaze goose. That's often the way trials occur, isn't it? Often they come out of nowhere. And it stumbles you a little bit. It, it takes you off your feet. You're like, boy, I didn't see that one coming. I didn't expect that. And the natures of the trial, notice, are uh, described as various types of trials. They can come in many different forms. There isn't one standard form of a trial. It can come in many different forms. Let me illustrate that for you. If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about the trials that he experienced as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he lists them for us. And notice what he includes in his lists. In chapter 11, verse 22, we'll pick it up there. When he asks, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? Well, so am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prison, more frequently. And in deaths, often. I like how he just adds that. Verse 24, notice this. Now he lists them. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And that's not the legal marijuana here in Illinois today. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, meaning he just floated in the ocean. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, and in perils among false brethren. In weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. <laughs> really? Other things? What comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul saw that his suffering was an indication that he was properly serving Jesus Christ. As we go through trials here and through this world, let us understand that God is using those trials purposely in our life. But from our perspective, we often don't see it, do we? 
I was reading a story of a pastor and his wife who happened to visit a very famous uh, weaver. And he went to the, they went to the place that he weaves his beautiful tapestries. And as he was watching the weaver weave on the loom, he was looking at the tapestry from one perspective. And him and his wife were kind of puzzled because what they were seeing was just this random, rough, edges and they were seeing the you know the the threads sticking out and they were it didn't seem to really mean anything and they were just like hmm uh, maybe this is abstract art or something they didn't really get it and the guide saw their confusion and said oh let's change your perspective and they brought the pastor and his wife around to the other side and it was a gorgeous tapestry that they were looking at The same thing, but from a different perspective. Often when we go through trials, we see the rough underneath of it all. As we're going through it, it doesn't seem like there's any good that could possibly come from it. But in the end, we are going to see uh, that tapestry of our life from another perspective. We're going to see that each and every trial that we went through was another stitch of perfection by God in the hand of His loving, I should say, in His loving hand towards us, bringing us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we are going to be amazed at the work that God has done in our lives. As that same pastor quoted in his book, it should be on the slide, he says, Outlook determines outcome. And attitude determines action. And he pulls this from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. When the Hebrew writer writes to us and says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author, notice this, and finisher of our faith, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus Christ saw the cross as a joy. How is that possible? It's because he saw past the cross. He saw the third day. He saw the stone rolled away. He knew that this was the beginning of victory and the reconciliation of fallen man back to holy God. That this was it. It was a moment of unpleasantness that he endured to allow God to use him as God desired to use him. What a miraculous thing. I am convinced that when the stone was rolled away by the angels and Jesus came forward, The first thing on his mind wasn't the cross, but the new life that he was now able to provide for you and I. An incredible thought. So as Jesus saw it as joy, James is calling us also to see the trials that we go through as joy. And he endured those moments of pain despising the shame as the Hebrew writer continues. And notice this, and this is really the point. As he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, meaning it is over, it is finished, Jesus wins. And that's why we can be joyful. Because that same suffering that we experience in our lives, 
will produce that beautiful tapestry that God is creating in us. The poem in which He is writing in and through us. God is working in you and He is using trials to do so. Let me read this to you because it may speak to the mindset that you currently have today. The writer says, our values determine our evaluation. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. As Job had the right outlook when he said in Job 23.10, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. What a beautiful statement. Job saw it. Now, I don't know what you've personally experienced, but I can possibly say with a certain degree of confidence that Job probably experienced more. And yet he saw it as the perfect work of God in his life. And that it was producing gold. And that gold shall come forth from his life through the work that God is doing in him. And all of this is wrapped up in this next word. In verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What does it mean testing. Well, obviously, when we think about testing nowadays, we think about either pass or fail, positive or negative, if you get the little innuendo there. But testing to God is this, that the trial is bringing forth from us. It is drawing out from us. It is like when they melt gold and they bring it to a place where it liquefies and the dross, the the portion of the gold that is not usable, comes to the surface and then is scraped off and what is left is pure gold. That is what this word is conveying to you and I. That the trial that we experience is bringing forth in us, drawing out what is wrong and allowing us to continue in the purity of of what is left. And that is why allowing trials to have the work within us, notice that he says that the testing of our faith through trials produces patience. Another good word for patience here is endurance. Producing endurance. Endurance is something we need now more than ever. As I've said millions of times here on Sunday morning, Christianity is not a sprint, it is a marathon. And as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, think of us in those final miles of a marathon where many have indicated that often there comes a point where things are going wrong really easy and then there's that tough time where the body is fighting you every minute of the way, and then all of a sudden you're able to get past that and finish the marathon. But that's what God is doing in us. Producing in us an endurance, a capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. That's what we need now more than ever, isn't it? We need the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances now more than ever. And trials bring that forth. 
As one wrote, he said, the testing of faith is designed to reveal the quality of one's faith and to produce stamina in the individual. Another writer went and said, in the Bible, patience is not a passive acceptance of circumstances. It is a courageous perseverance in the face of suffering and difficulty. That is the endurance that we are looking for. Now, James uses what is called a literary device in New Testament writing, a literary device. The device is called a sortie. It's where a list of traits, one leading to another, is given. And often the last trait is the trait that is emphasized, meaning the reason that we went through this sortie is to get to this final characteristic. And we see this in Romans 5, 3 through 4, when Paul used this. And he wrote, and he said, not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Why? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And as we'll see next week, as Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, But also for this very reason, he writes, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness to love. Wow, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Try to say that 10 times fast. Have you ever gone on a long road trip Do you see the way I say that? Have you ever gone on a long road trip? My parents had the idea that my sister and I loved long road trips. I don't know who gave them that idea. They certainly didn't ask me. They didn't ask my sister. And... To us, long from Elk Grove was coming out to Santa's village. That was long, okay? When Dina and I started dating, of course, she grew up in this area, and she told me where she lived, and I said, oh, you live at Santa's village. I didn't think there was anything else out here at that time, you know. That was almost 30 years ago. Long road trips. And, of course, they're always... You know, they always proceed someplace that you really, really, really want to get to. And one of those places was Disney World. And I don't know about you, but there are people who love the state of Tennessee. Just love it. It's a beautiful state. Don't get me wrong. It is a gorgeous state. But I have been psychologically scarred by Tennessee. Because Tennessee was the, almost like the halfway point. And, there was, and my mom and dad, oh, look at the pretty trees and the mountains. And we're just like, just get there. The only mountain I want to see is, you know, uh, which mountain ride? You know, I want to see the Magic Kingdom. I want to see Mickey. And by the time we got to Disney World, we were just like, it's no longer the happiest place on the earth. It's the middle of those road trips that are so difficult. So difficult. And we made it known, our displeasure. And my dad always used to say, I'm just going to turn the car around. And we knew he wasn't. He was already halfway there, you know. And then he discovered Dramamine. And Dramamine just put us to sleep. 
So one time we were eating lunch at this place, and my mom was passing out the dram. I mean, now in all fairness, I did personally used to get car sick, so she wasn't being un- she wasn't being cruel or anything. But she also knew that the blessing of this drug was that also it was going to put us to sleep in the back of the car. And as we were at the restaurant in Tennessee, at the end of the meal, my sister, being who she is, she used to do uh, you know smash up derbies, uh, literally. <laughs> Uh, so you can just get an idea of who she is. Um, she yelled in the middle, middle of the restaurant, Mom, are you going to drug us now? <laughs> can imagine the looks that we got. <sighs> oh. People don't know the damage that they did to their kids in the 70s and 80s. They just don't realize it. But often we feel the same way when we're in this process of development. As we read through Peter, I hope it's still up on the screen, knowing that the halfway mark, when it comes to knowledge and self-control, we're just like, get there, right? It's a process. It takes time. And God uses trials to bring about these developments within our lives, to bring about the love in and through us that He desires us to have. Now we have to submit ourselves to what God is doing in verse 4. Notice the word let is the key word in verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. The word perfect there means complete in its first usage. It means complete. God wants you to be complete. He wants you to become the Christian man or woman of God that He desires you to become. Having the characters and characteristics and traits of Jesus Christ displayed in your life would be the goal. That's why we're being conformed into the image of Christ. But notice there seems to be a requirement of cooperation in the process. We can resist what God is trying to do in and through those trials. We see that in the Old Testament, when Abraham was given the promise of a child in his latter years, in Sarah's latter years, instead of waiting on God and trusting God to fulfill the promise, letting God allow that perfect trial of waiting and patience and so forth to take its full effect and to come all full circle, Abraham got the brilliant idea to lay with Hagar, and of course, we know the problems that occurred from that, don't we? Instead of waiting on God, he presumptuously moved ahead of God. But instead of resting in knowing that God is working in us in times of trial, it is easy to immediately run to worry. It's easy to immediately run to anxiousness or fear. It's a very tempting thing to try to take things into our own hands without first waiting on God, consulting God, and seeing how God would resolve the trial in which we are are experiencing. So I often encourage people, when they experience this stuff, to take a momentary step back, a moment of pause, seek the Lord and see how God would have them proceed. I think all of us heard our president's speech Thursday and the mandates that he is requiring. 
I personally believe these mandates will be uh, challenged legally, and I believe it will eventually end up in the Supreme Court. And like the CDC's uh, extension of the moratoriums on eviction, which they had no legal right to do, the, the Supreme Court pulled that back. I believe it will be challenged. I believe that this vaccine mandate, and truly it is coercion in every shape of the word, regardless of how you feel about vaccines. That's not the question here. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I've said that many, many times. What you do with your body is between you, God, and your doctor. We've said that a hundred times. But I am concerned in now how our government is using it as leverage over people. There are protests all over the world occurring due to vaccine passports. Let us understand, if we, if we don't call enough is enough now, if we don't stand up gently, patiently, and say, we're going too far, when does it end, folks? What can they require next? What can they mandate next? Especially from an administration that just told us three months ago that they would never do such a thing. We have to be honest with ourselves. Now, the reason I bring this up is not to get political, which unfortunately I probably already have, but some of you are faced now with the possibility of losing your jobs. My advice to you is to take a moment of pause. Let's see what God does. I would not suggest quitting. I would suggest waiting and see what happens to see what God is going to do next. Because I'm finding more and more people, even, though that, even those who have been vaccinated, say things have gone too far now. Let's wait on God in this particular trial and let's see what God will do. You still may eventually be faced with a difficult situation or a difficult decision. And we pray for you. And we ask the Lord to see you through. But that being said, let's see what God will do. But please, folks, please don't let this divide us any more than it has. Please. This is not something that we should uh, divide over. And I'm going to say this. Unvaccinated people are not the enemy. Because from his speech, you could have walked away with that determination. Please, don't see them as that. But as God works through these things, the second word that He uses, given to us, again, in the English form of perfection, now means maturity, lacking nothing. That through these trials, number one, you will be complete. Number two, you will grow to maturity by letting God have the perfect work in your life that He desires to have. As one wrote in comment to this, they said, God cannot build our character without our cooperation. If we resist Him, then He chastens us into submission. But if we submit to Him, then He accomplishes His work. He is not satisfied with a halfway job. God wants a perfect work. He wants to fin a finished product that is mature and complete, re uh, resembling the image of Jesus Christ. And in this process, if you find yourself in a position of confusion, notice what he says next. I believe that he was 
anticipating his readers' questions before they ask them. In verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double, um, a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. What wisdom do we need at a moment such as this? What wisdom is required in the midst of a trial? Again, the consensus seems to be the wisdom needed in the midst of a trial is the wisdom of knowing that you are in the midst of an opportunity. And don't miss the opportunity that you are in the midst of. God is working in you to work through you. This trial is not a random occurrence. God has allowed it given as need be, as Peter says, for the purpose of developing us, allowing us to be complete and grow into maturity. As a parent, I realize that one of the best ways we can help our children grow into maturity is by letting them make their decisions and working through the either blessing or consequence of that decision. Isn't that true? I believe that as we coach them, as we work with them, especially as they get older and they're transitioning into adulthood, to help them to do all to stand and prepare them to make right decisions in their life. But the wisdom that we need to do so is found in the Word of God. Let us not miss the opportunity that we are in. And when we ask, notice that James clearly states we have to believe by faith, trusting that it's not an accident that I am in the position that I'm in. This isn't just some random event or experiencing or experience that I am currently dealing with. That as a child of God, He is leading me as a good shepherd would lead me. And if He has brought me into this trial, I can be confident that He's going to bring me through this trial. So the worst thing that we can do in the midst of the trial is to let go of our shepherd and say, that's it. I'm done. That's it. Just sitting right here. I'm not going any farther. As one wrote, he said, why do we need wisdom when we're going through trials? Why not ask, he says, for strength or grace or even deliverance from the trials that we are experiencing? For this reason, he states, we need wisdom so we will not waste the opportunity God is giving us to mature. Wisdom helps us understand how to use these circumstances for our good and, more importantly, for God's glory. It's a moment, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Years ago, we talked about, of course, September 11th. And I remember when the original memorial services were taking place of individuals who lost their life in that tragic event, that amongst the memorial service, of course, most were dressed in black. 
there was one woman who had a red dress on and apparently it was so noticeable that the commentator, the, the reporter went to her and asked, you know, how, you know boy, I, you're standing out in this red dress that you're wearing. Well, sure enough, she was a Christian and so was her husband who died. And she says, though I'm going to miss him terribly and though this tragic event came on us out of nowhere, I can rejoice that he is now in the loving hands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She saw the value of it. Now, please, I'm not diminishing her loss. I'm not diminishing her grief. I'm not diminishing those moments that she had to realize that there was an empty spot at the table. Or when she laid her head on the pillow, her husband was not next to her. But she had a hope that others did not possibly have because they didn't know Jesus Christ. And she could see this trial as an opportunity. And if all she could do at that moment was wear that red dress to bring attention and to glory unto God, that's what she did. I don't know if that was her case, but that's what she did. What a beautiful thing to consider. In wrapping things up for this morning, one writes, he says, because we are God's scattered people throughout the world and that God does not shelter His people, we must understand that we are going to experience trials. And he says some trials come simply because we are human in the form of sickness, accidents, or disappointments, and even seemingly tragedies. But other trials are a distinct uh, result of our fa- the fact that we are Christians. Paul wrote it this way when he said in Romans 8.28, He said, and we know that all things work together for good. And over the word all things, if you are one who likes to uh, annotate your Bible, put the word trials. In all trials, things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Or as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians also, 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18, He says, for our light affliction, which is but a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Difficult perspective to have but it's asking us to look at the other side of the tapestry. And let me finish with these words, if I may. The only way that the Lord can develop patience and character in our lives is through trials. Endurance cannot be obtained by reading books, even this one, he writes, or listening to a sermon, or even praying a prayer. We must go through the difficulties of life, trust God and obey Him. The result will be patience and character. Knowing this, we can face trials joyfully. We know what trials will do in us and for us. And we know that the end result will bring glory to God. Amen.